UX Podcast Episode 166. ago you woke up really far too early on a Sunday morning and we're trying to get back to sleep and you had an idea the idea of the dick pick locator which you'd you'd got as an uh, as inspiration you had um, a great episode of note to self um, where Manoush Zamarodi explores um, all the data that you can find out about a person just from a simple selfie mm-hmm. so Tell us a little bit more about the the, the, the service and why you did a dick pic locator. I think it maybe was just that. Uh, the name came first, mm. dick pic locator, because I, I started realizing uh, what a huge problem this seems to be on the internet, that uh, dudes are sending pictures of their penis, penis to girls, unsolicited pics, anonymous pics, uh, in chats, in forums, emailing even, sending via MMS. It's 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 crazy. It's a phenomenon, uh, and some some women get this every day. Mm, it's terrible. Uh, so, and then I, I remember this episode, and I realized, well, we could probably get a lot of data from those photos that are being sent to these women. And I realized, well, I mean, that's open data. It's metadata. It's part of the photo. So it must be really easy to get that data online. And I I searched online, and there's there's tons of scripts for it. So I realized I can build this really quickly. And I built the site, including the domain name and, and the text and the copywriting in six hours and realized, okay, so this was easy. Now let's see what happens yeah. with it. So, so the, the, the service itself, um, you just basically upload a picture, yeah. or supposedly of a penis that you've received, and then it will tell you whereabouts in the world exactly <laughs> that picture was taken. Yeah. is the premise for it. But, I mean, in reality, a lot of the pictures... Um, in question won't have their their GPS data attached to them anymore. Exactly. So 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 the the true intention. I'm not sure I had an intent when I when I built the service. I don't think I really was aware of how few photos do still have that data mm. when they're sent over chat programs because the data's there in the photo. But originally, a, a lot of the uh, these services actually strip away the data. Yeah. And that may be a problem in itself. Why is it manipulating my photo that I'm sending to someone else? Uh, so we're, so we're, I'm dealing with two things here. That partly, of course, I want to attack the problem of dick pics uh, because I think that's a huge problem. Yeah, the bullying, the But there's also the, the problem the of there's all this data and photos that obviously a, not a lot of people are aware is there. Uh, so you don't know what types of risks you're taking online when you're even sending just a photo to another person or posting it online or posting it on a buy and sell site, whatever. Or how much information you're, you're revealing mm. um, depending on how you've sent the picture. Because exactly. of course, you've, you, if you've got your iPhone or whatever it is mm. and you've taken a photo, by default, it's going to have all of this data. In, it has so much data. It's not just the GPS data. Yeah. It's the, it could be the color of your phone, what type of phone it is. Yeah. Uh, so much, so, so many more things. And we, I mean, mm. we, we weren't completely aware um, that some of this, or that this data was stripped from certain services. Exactly. I'd have, I'd probably guessed it would have been actually from some of them because they re, because they they reformat the picture, so they basically kind of mm. compress it again or turn it into a thumbnail. You, you generally don't bother to transfer the. But that's exit. a privacy issue as well. If I'm sending something, why would you manipulate my photo before it uh, comes to the receiver? So I know that Signal, for example, mm. this privacy chat app, mm. it does not strip these tags. 
and Discord app that, that my kids use actually to mm. talk when they're gaming. That does not strip the data mm. in the photo. Sometimes uh, it might just be a, um, an accidental consequence of something else. Exactly. Like generating a thumbnail. Yeah. But I think we'll get into that mm. a little bit later. Mm. Uh, one, one thing here which really interested me is me and you were discussing this a little bit because you had a bit of a, a media storm around this. Yeah, um, that was insane. I was on the radio, I was on uh, <laughs> TV, I, was, I even reached uh, Australia and Germany, he was talking about it, New York Post, The Sun in, in Britain, yeah. uh, Russia and newspapers mm. posted about it. And so it's, it's just insane couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, it became a, a summer story in a, yeah. in a lot of um, big um, newspaper sites yeah. um, this last uh, few weeks. Um, and that which was very interesting in itself. But, but when me and you were chatting about it, we, we realized that the um, uh, aspect of this is, is not just the, well, the history of EXIF. Now the, the EXIF is the data format, the metadata mm. format that we attach to mm. pictures. We bake into JPEGs to store all of these bits of information. Mm. Um, and when that was added to EXIF, it was added version two. Which was a long time ago. A long time ago. It was, it was rubber stamped in November 1997. Yeah. Now, I'd have to guess, there's going to be some people that are listening possibly weren't even born. Yeah. What definitely wasn't born was the iPhone. What that definitely wasn't born mm. was camera phones. Mm. I mean, I got my first camera phone, I think it was 2002. Yeah. And I was, you know, it was, it was really odd. People uh, were kind of really, mm. really curious mm. when I was going around with a, a, a son. Whatever, and the with quality of those tone. pictures oh, were so bad, you were, didn't really yeah. use them. First digital yeah. camera, I mean, yeah. you, I mean, you got them around 98, 99. Yeah. So around this time, mm. we didn't have a world where you know, huge swathes of people were carrying around cameras in their pockets with built-in GPS locators, mm. uh, so personal computers mm. in their pocket, in their palms of their mm. hands to take photos and videos mm. and transmit them instantly across the world. Exactly. This didn't exist back then. It was still science fiction stuff. But they included this little line in the metadata description that allows you to store that location data. And to them, it probably made a lot of sense because it can be used for so many good things because it's just data about a photo, yeah. so you can use it for searching for photos and placing photos on a map yeah. so it's and, and back in 97 mm. you would have you would have basically had to transfer your pictures if you didn't have a digital camera um you're more likely to have had a, a, a film camera and have digitized the pictures from the film yeah you would have imported them into some kind of tool and then you were adding the metadata yeah. to the pictures post scanning post very import. consciously yeah. yeah um you know i used back then mm. you know you used to get a, a C, i used to get a cd mm. from um, the, the film shop where you get the films developed, Photoshop, um, and then I'd take that CD and I'd, I'd you know, load them into a, a, you know, another tool. But yeah, you would have to put purposely add the data. So you would have to say Stockholm and put in data for Stockholm. Mm. Um, that is very, very different to how it is now. Yeah. So what this made me think about was how... You know, we we've got the okay, we've got the nasty side of the, the you know the web bully, the internet bullying, the kind of online hate side of of dick pics, mm. uh, which is terrible in itself. But here we have a situation where some people who probably really were enthusiastic and really cared a lot about uh, image format, mm. um, so sort of EXIF attached to JPEG, mm. they had a really good idea of the location stuff. How could they possibly know the future? 
They couldn't. Not true. Not <laughs> no, fully. They unless can, they were time travelers. They can. They can guess yeah. aspects of the mm. of the future, but they didn't mm. know. Mm. So there we have a an example of how you you create something with good intentions, mm. and time goes on, and suddenly something which had good intentions mm. can be remixed, remashed, mm. and used in ways which we really don't like. I mean, I think you've got, an, um, uh, there was an example of the, the, the cat pics website. Yes, I know where your cat lives dot com. Uh, that's a great example, and I used it in my post when I was writing about the dick pic locator, because I could potentially have done that with dick pics. So what this guy has done is <laughs> he's actually, so actually really kind of <laughs> he's actually just, just uh, downloaded lots of pictures of cats from the internet mm. with GPS data, but also from, from Instagram, where you, some people actually tell you where they posted and, the And Twitter as well, of course. Yes, exactly. Uh, and he places all the cats on a map, so you can see what cat belongs to which house. And you can zoom into street mm. level mm. on Google Maps. And exactly. You can see, of course, because of the GPS data, exactly which building that cat lives in. And now, at. as you're listening, imagine doing that with... With penises. Hmm. C- could could have possibly have done that with my service. Yeah. Mm. And, well, you can do mm. it with any mm. photo. Mm. That you yeah. theme it and so on. That That's the kind of thing where if you sit there and we're designing, we're, we're, we're oblivious to mm. some of the things and ways in which your creations can be used in the future. Yeah. Now, the chat me and you were having was, was about the, the how often this happens. Many occasions we get the, the, the things that get publicized are when the 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 oblivious designs we create are actually security holes. Mm. So we've we've created something in a way which is actually, you know, we we made some mistakes. We left some we left some gaps. So then hackers can come in and take advantage of that. Yeah. Um, we didn't. I don't think we'd leave these holes in deliberately. It's more we just haven't been aware that they exist. Exactly. Yeah. And so security is often mm. the, the main area mm. of, of oblivious design, mm. but it, it doesn't necessarily have to be limited to security. I mean, it can be that you weren't really fully aware of a, um, um, of a cognitive bias. Mm. That, that also would, would mean that your design maybe gets mm. used or, um, or, or consumed in a way mm. which you didn't really expect. Um, I mean, it, anything with the internet nowadays, I mean, it's Anything you do, it can scale so fast to so many people. So if you think that within this context, within this group of people, mm. it's going to be fine. But as soon as somebody copies that and spreads it to a billion people, you never know what's going to happen. There could be some really, really mm. cool and good stuff. Mm. I mean, we've had some great mashups mm. over the years of, mm. of very, very surfaces. And surfaces. Um, so it doesn't mean to say that everything that we create, or the, the oblivious aspects mm. don't have to be bad. Well, Always. It's, it's we're creating tools, and all tools cl- can be used for good or evil, mm. essentially. I mean, and you can't predict how other people are going to be using your tool. Mm. I think that's the big key mm. thing here: mm. is that we, we, I don't think so. The number of the number of specific um, scenarios and situations mm. that we um, design for, mm. that's always going to be very finite. Mm. We're going to know that we are designing for f- three scenarios. Um, five tasks, um, you know, one goal. Mm. I mean, th- these things are very mm. concrete numbers. Mm. Whereas when we start to look at the the permutations and mm. combinations of of technology, of design, of of behavioural psychology, mm. uh, the future, this becomes an, an a very rapidly heads towards infinity with yeah. the number of combinations that exist that we're oblivious to. Yeah, and it's becoming so complex. Which really bothers me is that 
that was a conscious decision to actually add add GPS data to your photo back in the day. But now it's unconscious because people are not even aware that it's happening. And so many things people are not aware is happening are happening. So it's it's just nobody's taking responsibility of informing people that think about this before posting photos online. Think about this before emailing. Think about this before giving away your IP address mm. or, or answering that um, box that pops up on different websites. I want to know your location. Mm. And you click yes or no. And a lot of people click yes without thinking. Yeah. And some, mm. of, some of these... Some of these scenarios that mm. we're aware of, mm. but aren't the ones that we're specifically designing for. Yeah. We we get we talk we talk mm. we say they're edge cases, mm. and we've talked about that in previous episodes. Mm. How you know um, with Eric Meyer mm. that the edge cases are themselves probably mm. not a good thing because it's it's ignoring something real that's happening to real people. Exactly. Whereas here it's the one step further. It's not just an edge case. This is an oblivious case. Exactly, and your intent is good. I, I can an example would be just adding a Facebook like button to your website. Mm. Yes, I added a Facebook like button. What does that mean? It means that Facebook can track me across the web all the way to that website. Mm. So you're basically adding a tracker to your website, which affects all your users of your website. Giving the data to another to mm. a third party yeah. that you uh, oh, aren't party to. Mm. So this leads us though to what can we do to counter oblivious design hmm. to help us with that we're going to have a little chat to adam scott so adam scott is a web developer educator and author who has written a series of ebooks on the topic of ethical web development uh, the most recent of which is collaborative web development you've, you've written um, a fair bit about um, ethical web development just just tell us a little bit about that and what you got how you got into it and what you've been doing Sure. Uh, here in the U.S., I work actually for a uh, federal federal agency. A few years ago, a new federal agency started up out of the um, financial crisis in the USA. And uh, I took a position with that agency, and I realized that what we were doing was really building things in the public trust. And it got me really interested in how the decisions we were making all the time uh, were impactful for a wide breadth of citizens. So I wasn't really targeting a specific demographic. Our demographic was suddenly the entire country, uh, which ranges, you know, in, in needs of our services. And as I was doing that, it really made me think about how the decisions we make are impactful on those users. So, uh, you know, by, by choosing a certain technology, we could be excluding someone, uh, by installing tracking software, we could be, you know, implying that the government is tracking someone in a certain way. So it really just kind of, uh, led me to, to think about all these things and how they really, uh, often an ethical decision and how it's easy to make decisions just in the moment that maybe aren't in the user's best interest because they're simple from a technology perspective or the, the path of least resistance. Uh, and so thinking about ethics in terms of a, like a process of web development became something that I was just really fascinated with. Mm. Uh, and a lot of other industries have these you know, codes of ethics that we kind of lack in the, digital, in the digital world, even though we're making important decisions for, for people. Yeah. Yeah, and and this this brings us quite neatly and nicely into to the question that I want to pose to you is is um, you know how how do we counter this kind of problem or this issue problem this issue of of oblivious design when we when we have an almost infinite number of of scenarios that exist for the things that we create whether it's through ethical decisions or whether it's from um, decisions we just haven't been aware aware of or aren't even invented yet. What can we do? 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's certainly a challenge. I, I think, I like to think of it as a process. You know, oftentimes we're uh, making these, thinking about these things at a certain point as we're building a tool and rather than kind of taking a step back and thinking holistically about the picture, uh, the whole picture and thinking about our user base and uh, like building from there. Um, so from my perspective, often it's really aligns with user, user experience from a development perspective. When I think about the terms of ethical design, it's really th taking a user-centric approach to development and thinking about our users as, as people, not just as, as numbers on the, in the analytics ticker. Yeah, creating that, creating that empathy for the fact that it's a, it's a real person at the other end. Yes, yeah, I think empathy is a huge, hugely impactful emotion. And yeah. as we can build it, um, it, you know, really helps us build things that are, that are, have our users' best interest in mind. It's, I think you have to have a pretty good and vivid imagination, though, to imagine all the different scenarios that could happen based on the design decisions you make uh, and what could happen 10 years from now. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't know where technology is going to be yeah. a, a year from now, let alone 10 years from now. Um, so kind of taking an evolving approach, too, mm -hmm. is, is pretty important, I think. Because as you say, I mean, it, it's about thinking about the outcomes, uh, what could happen potentially, and, and doing an analysis. But then at, at some point in the future, something will happen, and you realize, I didn't intend that to happen. Mm. How can you backtrack on, on design decisions that you've made before? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a challenging thing to do. I, I think there's no way to guarantee how we intend our technology be, mm. to be used is how it's going to always be used. Uh, certainly... You know, we see that with a lot of social platforms. They're, they maybe have a really good intention from the outset, but now they can be used to sort of fuel really terrible actions in people. Um, so I think, you know, I, I really think it's, that's a, just a difficult thing that our industry is going to face. Mm. But I, I do think that kind of if we take a step back, if we think about what our, what our intentions are, how we're building things for users, it really can uh, can help us can help us do a better job of that. So if we're not thinking of people as as dollar signs and we're thinking about solving problems, uh, that can really I think that can be impactful too. Yeah. So I have to ask you, what what was your reaction uh, when we sent you the link to the dick pic locator? <laughs> uh, I mean, my reaction at the the title was pretty. Uh, you know, it certainly grabbed my attention. Um, as I dug in, you know, I, I can't comment on the, you know, how, how, if it's solving the problem as intended, but I think that there was a lot of really, you know, brought a really some interesting ideas to the table. So this idea of awareness certainly is pretty, pretty great. Uh, also just making some really conscious design decisions that, that were user centric as I was looking at the site and reading through the article thinking about, um, you know, do you really trust me if you're about to upload mm -hmm. this? Um, photo, you know, kind of intentionally putting that into the design mm -hmm. so that so that it's causing people to kind of pause and think about what they're doing with their with their data before they before they upload it to the it, site. And that's exactly that really mm -hmm. yeah. The, I mean, this in, in case with this service, you know, it's it's a box that you click on and then you upload a personal photograph, mm -hmm. a very very personal mm -hmm. photograph in this example. And yeah, Per then subtitle subtitles that with you know. Do you really trust yeah. me with your dick pics? Mm. Um, yeah, it's an excellent way of, of throwing it out there. Mm. So that's yeah, an interesting that's thing. That just so uh, from a process perspective, like you're saying, because uh, that's something I, I I tend to say a lot. That 
we need to add more friction because in usability, people always say we need to remove friction to make it easier. But when we make stuff easier, uh, people make bad decisions as well. Uh, so is friction part of the process that you, that you see when, when working with this? Yeah, I think it's, it's introducing mindfulness uh, to the process a little bit, just raising awareness. Um, you know, I think a great example is Medium does this thing where they, if you have Do Not Track enabled, they will uh, not embed certain videos or do certain things, and they'll they'll show that on the site. So you'll say it'll say you have do not track em- enabled. We can't show this because it you know involves Google's tracking script. Um, so I think that that's a great thing, but it's sort of presenting that after the fact. Uh, so it'd be nice if there was some way you know that that as a user I was aware of that tracking, without kind of consciously asking for it to be turned off. Uh, so I think. I think there's certainly a little more friction that could be introduced to these types of things that could empower users to make decisions that are in their best in, in their best interest. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh, thinking about the going back to the pictures themselves, and we we mentioned about how um, certain so many services strip the the metadata from the pictures, and you know we've we've talked and we thought about well, you know, how many times is that a conscious decision, and how many times is that you know. You know, somebody, some guy or girl in a, in that kind of sprint realized they needed to make kind of thumb, thumbnails of pictures, so they grabbed a tool to kind of generate thumbnails, and you know they got stripped. Right. I mean, that's the easy. That's again that path of least resistance, right? Choosing the easiest tool, and and that's a wonderful thing. It's one of the empowering things about open source software, about um, you know building on each other's work. It's it's a really a great thing, but it also means that sometimes we're making decisions unknowingly about what happens with with our you know, with our tools, you know, I think that's a, that's a great example. I could just be pulling in a, a library for an image and it automatically does this, this stripping of made, metadata without me being aware of it. Mm. And that's just solving the problem. It's the easiest thing I can use to solve that problem. Mm. I mean, in, in, within security, I guess that there we've seen um, the, the advantage of, of openness uh, for finding security flaws. I mean, the, 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 the kind of um, the way that we find something and then we share it to say, look, we found a flaw, and the openness and shares knowledge and, and gets things fixed quicker. Um, is that maybe part of the key of how we can reduce, thinking about all these other aspects as well, if we have more openness around what we're doing, can that help? I certainly think it could raise awareness. You know, right now we are sort of limited in the tools for how we how we, as a user, are empowered to to request these types of changes. So, um, if you know, if I see something like that, it and I'd like to have it changed. It doesn't really. There's not a clear path to me requesting mm-hmm. that from the from the company or raising awareness. You know, more in the broader context. Uh, you know, we've seen things like open letters maybe take off, but but that's a pretty rare occurrence. So certainly, I think there's there's probably some interesting ideas from the world of security that can be brought brought into those. But in your experience, how, how experienced are companies with thinking about these issues? Um, a simple example, uh, HTTPS. Not all companies have that enabled. Uh, do, is that a conscious decision, do you think? You know, it's really interesting because a lot of times as a, as a developer, as a designer, you know, you're not always making product decisions. There might be a product owner, you have a sprint goal, that doesn't fit in, that falls down the, you know, maybe it's sitting on a backlog somewhere. Oh, HTTPS would be really nice to have, but we know we have to do all this other work. We have to, you know, fling it over the wall to our 
systems administrators, that's going to be a lot of back. So it's easy to to take up take on this other feature feature task and kind of sit on some of those things because they're not um, necessarily driving like business indicators, right? So that might HTTPS maybe would, but not necessarily depending on the depending on the site. Uh, so it's easy to kind of kick that sort of thing down the down the road a little bit as a, as a nice to have, uh, especially when you're working with an existing application. You're sort of building building on it, making improvements on it, and you've got you know months, years of of techno technical decisions that are that have already been made that you're sort of forced to live with and, and adapt mm. to. Because that's I mean, if you go out like you do research like you're supposed to, and you go out and talk to users, they're not by themselves going to say that, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to visit a website if there wasn't HTTPS. But that, of course, is because they're unaware of what could happen if they submit data to that website if there isn't HTTPS. So mm. it's so hard to, uh, of course, build that into the backlog because not no user has expressed that <laughs> that need. Mm. Uh, so so who's responsible for expressing the need for them? Right, it's, mm. it's an interesting mm. dynamic because mm. as, as technologists, mm. we're the ones that uh, that are aware of these things. Mm more often than not, mm. um, especially if we're engaged in this sort of world of, of building things that are that are more uh, ethically centered or more mindful, uh, but we're not always the ones making the product product decisions, mm. or so it becomes a becomes a real challenge there. So I've been thinking about, when I've been reading up about some aspects to do with this, and one of the examples about privacy on, on personal data is the is the use of you know, some services when they include your username in the in the URL for your for your profile and how that can be used as then as a as a proxy for tracking because anyone then with Google Analytics or anyone with with data will see your username and be able to link it back right so so that's then something that you need to be aware of when you when you when you're building these mm. these products now is that something that I mean, I should maybe keep in mind as a designer, or is that something that I have to rely on developers? And or, you know, it, it's it's a real kind of gray zone of of is it technology or is it privacy? Is it ethics? Mm. Is it design? Tracking is a really interesting example. I mean, that's it's so easy to track users, not just on your own site, but around the web. Mm. Especially if you're a you know, you can embed a cookie that will interact with an ad you have on another site, or embed a social sharing widget, and now. I know not just what you've done on my site, but I know what you know the other sites that you've visited, and it's how we get those you know scary ads where you you shop for new bed linens, and then every site you go on has an ad for bed linens, mm -hmm. and it sort of becomes this uh, you know you you start to wonder what's happening, and it's really just that that being tracked around the web. So it's it's not even just tracking on your own application. It can you can be making decisions that influence how users are being tracked outside of. Your your own site. Yeah, I know that the 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 companies that are tracking data, um, they now are up in the high nineties for for accuracy of cross device tracking. Oh yeah, um, and you know you don't you don't need cookies for that now really to get up to that kind of level because yeah. there's just so much data out there. Right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, there's there's a great I think the EFF has a great tool. Um, I think it's called Panto Click, but they can mm. show how how easily you're browser can be fingerprinted based yeah. on uh, you know a whole number of different things so mm -hmm. really if you're you know running a browser with JavaScript enabled which we all are it's easy to to fingerprint you all across the web yeah. Yeah. Uh, just based on the add-ons you have and all sorts of all sorts of different things that are unique to your browser yeah and incognito mode doesn't mm -hmm. actually save you right right no sometimes that can be worse yeah. <laughs> 
it's, it's, it's an extra data you, point. Yeah. Then, yeah, then you yeah. know that's the incognito guy with a battery level of 97.77%. Oh, dear. That's, oh, that's awful. But that's the point as well that I want to make is, yes, you have GPS data and photos, and that's sort of scary, but you can be tracked in so many different ways that people are unaware of. This is just, if people aren't even aware of that little thing, then how can they ever become aware of all these other things that are happening with their personal data online? Right. I mean, that, and particularly since that's a pretty obvious example, I think, you know, our phones will mm. show us our GPS mm. coordinates. Uh, you know, there's usually an app that will say, okay, these are all the photos you mm. took here, here, here. So it's, it's even being kind of flaunted to us, that capability. Exactly. Um, but, but certainly, mm. you know, many of these other things are not, not being shared with us. It's mm. just sort of being done, and it's assumed that we're okay with give, we've clicked accept on the, the terms of service, and it's okay to you know share all of our information, and that's the cost that we're often paying for the use of free services and applications. I think because it's so complicated and because it's it's so difficult to predict the future, perhaps the one of the best things we can do is what we're doing now, or what you've done, Paul. We've we're 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 lifting things to the surface. Yeah. We're talking about it, the open dialogue. Yeah, I fully agree. I think the open dialogue, I think adding that friction when possible, uh, I think is a great, a great way of doing that. So making it, making it, building it into our sites and applications and mm. helping raise awareness to our users that, that these are the decisions that they're, they're making with their, with their data when they use our site. Which hopefully will give trust to the right people. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much for joining us, Adam. This was excellent. Thank you so much for having me. So we just can't get away from the fact that too many things are unknown. We're oblivious to them. They're, they're, and even if we are as ethical as we can be and, and um, as thoughtful as we can be in so many situations, we don't know the future. Mm. We don't know how things are going to be I don't know, bastardized or, or, or combined in amazing new ways uh, when we sit down there and design. Sure, um, yeah, and... Exactly. There's no way of knowing. It's impossible. Not everything. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But th there's also, I mean, nobody, nobody's even held accountable. So there's no really incentive to do anything because nobody's going to say, now you shouldn't have added those ex that EXIF data to that file and we're going to take you to court. It's not going to happen. And nobody, nobody's even going to say they made a bad decision. No. No. So you've got to be, so effectively it's like, it's like kind of, keeping healthy keeping fit a little bit that we've got to be constantly talking about um the things that we haven't designed for or, or cons constantly considering them to keep us kind of keep our minds fit about the topic and keep us aware of the fact that mm. other stuff happens not just the stuff we've specifically mm. designed for yeah so how about how about the suggestion that we you you periodically um, have little get-togethers with your, your your team or your stakeholders or organization or whatever, um, or even users, even people that are make, taking, <laughs> you know, taking advantage of your service or, yeah. or buying your products. And get people to think about, you know, throw their minds into the future and say, how could this be used? What could you do with this in 10 years' time, in 25 years' time, 50 years' time? And also, if we, I mean, that, that's interesting, because then you could think about, if I wanted to use this for evil, 
how could I? Yeah. So mm. you could get, we could kind of role play this. So it doesn't yeah. have to be connected to what you're developing now. Mm. It's more kind of like a keep fit exercise mm. for you, for your brain and your, your kind of awareness and, and yeah. imagination about what you're doing, what you're creating. Some, some things might come up that might that make you go, oh yeah, no, you're right. That could actually be something that happens. Maybe we should just tweak this here now. Because there are so many simple things, simple decisions you can make here and now, mm. design decisions or even development decisions, mm. which perhaps make something easier or harder. And that would be a good thing. Exactly. Ethically or yeah. privacy-wise or even mm. just for the, for the health of the product. Mm. Um, so, so by having that kind of moment where you can say, look, right, we are going to be futuristic now. Mm. Here's, our, here's our world. What could it be doing in 25 years' time? And the, the I mean, how would you get people to set aside time to do that? And now just you and me thinking about it, it's actually, it sounds quite like fun because mm. it's like storytelling. And that's the type of storytelling you could also use when reaching out to people uh, and creating interest for your product. Uh, so I, I kind of see there's a value in that, but you need to help people realize the value of it. Mm. But you, I mean, you mm. don't have to make it into a, a full day workshop. I mean, you could, I reckon you could do this just with, you could do it with an hour. You just sit down there. I mean, you could even do it over lunch. Yeah, but how often? Oh, well, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, but that's a whole different thing. That mm. depends on your pace of change. Mm. I mean, if you if you don't, or the pace of change of the world around you, exactly mm. both aspects. Mm. How much you are changing things, and how much out there is changing. Yeah, yeah. So if uh, more companies had sat down and look, when the iPhone came out and look, and look at this, they probably could have seen some interesting things happening. Yeah. Well, you didn't necessarily look at the iPhone. You just like sit down and go, because now you've got that seed in your head about a world with star trek communicators in your hand yeah <laughs> which has suddenly become reality mm. over 10 years then yeah you could sit down there and and play with the ideas mm. it's like how would the world be without you know from our from our products mm. viewpoint or our services uh, viewpoint mm. what is it going to be like and, and to be fair a lot of this is happening but specifically often around the world of self-driving cars people are thinking mm. about the ethical aspects of that yeah. but Perhaps not your everyday website. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, sometimes I think with e-commerce and the warehouses, delivery, drones, there's, there's, I think there's an aspect of it there as well. But, um, but I, I think you definitely could make a little fun, a fun meeting or something out of this to, <laughs> yeah, to, to no, help. So well, well, at least yeah. to, just to help talk mm -hmm. more and help spread, spread awareness about being aware, mm -hmm. which is kind of back to the beginning of the dick pic locator. It is. It actually. wasn't really built to to reveal where somebody's taken that picture it was there to raise awareness of the fact that this data had been spread around and we've made decisions other yeah. people made decisions about that's but also that. also i think actually to fight that phenomenon of dick pics by having the perpetrators realize that the data is there because even if the receiver of the photo doesn't have the data mm. somebody else does yeah we're oblivious to it all <laughs> but a little less oblivious now yeah. So um, show notes and links from this episode are available at uxpodcast.com. Um, if you're not already a subscriber, then please just add us wherever you listen to us now. Um, if you are a subscriber, tell a friend or a colleague about the show. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Knock, knock. Who's there? Atch. Atch who? Bless you. <laughs>